Today's episode is brought to you by Whoop. Whoop is a fitness tracker that provides daily insight into your recovery, your strain, and your sleep. You might have seen it on the wrist of Rory as he won the Tour Championship or other Tour players. I had to find out more, so I reached out, got my own band, talked to some of the folks at Whoop, and I was blown away. And then, lucky enough, they wanted to support and sponsor the podcast and let more folks know about it as well. Here are the three things you need to know. There's three metrics, strain, recovery, and sleep. Strain is for those that are looking to track more than just steps. Track how strenuous your day is from start to finish. And this is key, get insight into how much you exert yourself during training. The second one is recovery. That is so you can get daily insight into how ready your body is to perform by looking at some biometrics such as heart rate variability, resting heart rate, and sleep performance. The last one is sleep. It's all about optimizing the way that you sleep by getting target sleep times based on how strenuous your day was and your performance goals. You can monitor your sleep stages, cycles, time in bed, actual sleep, sleep efficiency, and so much more. And, you know, the best players in the world are paying attention to this, as we found out from the Whoop CEO, Will Ahmed. You know, Justin Thomas was telling me how obsessed he is with sleep. This is a guy who will just get up in the middle of dinner to go to bed if he feels like he's not going to bed at the appropriate time because he knows that he has to get a certain number of hours of sleep in order to feel that recovered, in order to feel, you know, peak on the day of the tournament or, you know, even on the weekends, right? Uh, He was saying that he actually had a green recovery on the Sunday of leading the BMW tournament. I think that's pretty cool, right? You know, normally when you're leading the tournament, you're going to feel an additional level of stress. In his case, it was the opposite because he's figured out ways to to train his body and, and to use Whoop. Definitely check this out and learn more about Whoop. It's W-H-O-O-P dot com. Use the code G-S-L for 15% off your membership. That is G-S-L. Definitely go check out Whoop dot com. You are listening to the Golf Science Lab podcast. My name is Cordy Walker, and I'm on a mission to figure out how to improve the way that we learn and get better at golf. I've been able to travel all over the world talking to the leaders in the industry, from instructors to researchers to golfers themselves, learning how they're getting better at golf and what that means for you. Hey everyone, welcome back to part two in our little mini-series on better practice. My name is Cordy Walker, I'm your host, and we are back with Ian Highfield, who's going to talk a little bit today about this idea of training to perform. There's two terms that he will talk about, training to learn and training to perform. Yesterday, we kind of covered that train to learn aspect of like, I want to go learn, you know, a technique change. I want to go learn, you know, a different chip shot or whatnot, whatever that is, you're going out to learn something. Trained to perform is I want to go and develop some skills that are going to help me perform at my best when I want to perform at my best. This conversation at the end here, Ian leaves us with an amazing game, some concepts of like how this looks in real life. So make sure to stay tuned till the end. And this is pretty short. So I think you will, uh, you won't regret hanging around and checking out that game. One thing before we get into this is you've got to check out his book, Golf Practice. There's a link in the post along with this. So if you aren't able to take notes while you listen, head over to golfsciencelab.com on the post. You'll see some notes taken from the transcript of this conversation, along with a link to this book, which is super, super good. It's on the desk right next to me here. It has a yellow cover called Golf Practice. 
and it has some amazing games and uh, training circuits. Most of the book is stuff for you to go do. So I love it. Go check it out. You won't regret it. Ian is fantastic. He's a part of our, an awesome contributor of our next project, which we're announcing tomorrow. So you got to come back to part three where you can hear that announcement. Or if you want to, uh, to get the reminders about it, golfsciencelab.com slash practice secrets. Uh, so you can get that info and stay up to date on that. Other than that, let's dive into the second part in our practice series with Ian Highfield. All right, Ian. So today we are tackling the next question that we hear so often from folks that are trying to figure out or or they're getting serious about their improvement, right? It's I practice and I practice and I get better, you know, on the range. You know, I'm doing the thing. I'm seeing the ball flights I want to see. I'm getting the feels I want to see on the range. And I go to the golf course and I'm shooting the same scores and it's just not transferring. Yes. So let's talk about what are we going to do? to start creating practice that actually transfers those, those skills that we're practicing onto the golf course. Okay. Awesome. So when, when I discuss practice with a player at first, I'll always ask the player this question, but ultimately what I want to do is empower them to ask this question to themselves. Every time they turn up to the golf course, I want them to say today, am I here training to learn? Or am I here training to perform? So training to learn might be a swing change, working on the range, working on your movement patterns in in five ball sets, as, as you and I have discussed previously. If you're training to perform, that's very different. Training to perform, you're looking at developing the psychological habits of excellence. You're looking at developing mental processes. You're looking at developing the ability to adapt to the demands of the golf course, the varying lies, the different visuals of having to hit the ball over water, the psychological stress of having a a card and a pencil in your hand and having to write down your scores. So often in the golf world, most golfers relate practice to training to learn. Every time they turn up to the range, they're thinking and focusing on their swing. Then they go out onto the golf course and they're thinking and focusing on movement patterns and and golf swing. At some point, we have to train to perform and we have to develop the psychology that is going to allow us to access our best golf swing in those precious situations and in those variable environments and different challenges that the golf course throws our way. And that's why skills don't transfer. People hit golf balls on the range. It's a flat lie. There's no outcome. And they hit over and over and over again. And there's no space between each shot or very little space between each shot. So they already have a mental representation of, hey, this is what I've got to do to hit that little seven iron push draw. Now you get on the golf course. You don't have that representation. There's a lot more contextual interference and you're playing for score. You're probably trying to beat your friends. If you're a mini tour player, you're trying to make the next grade. If you're a tour player, you might be trying to make money to, to feed your family or get to a certain world ranking. So all of a sudden, all these pressures and stresses come onto us and 
we we fail to deal with them psychologically and we fail to adapt to the demands and honestly if you look at the PGA tour if you look at the top 125 players in the world it's debatable whether they've got the best golf swings in the world but what's not debatable is they all have the ability to deal with the psychological pressures of playing for outcomes and they all have the ability to adapt to the demands of the environment and i think as golf coaches we need to be teaching training to perform a lot more and i think as golfers the golfing world need to understand this a bit better and learn how to create training to perform environments yeah in in this question brings up so many different thoughts for me you know the, the people are just just so confused about why they're not getting better you know when they go when want to go out and perform at their best you know, one of the thoughts that, that I have is, is I don't think a lot of people practice the things that they face on the golf course or that they complain about on the golf course, right? Like how many times have you heard somebody say like, oh man, my tempo is just not right today when they're out playing. Or how many times have you heard like, I'm just, you know, I'm just not aligning very well lately or, you know, all these different things that we know are the issues that we face when we want to perform at our best, but then we go to practice and we don't practice like we play at all, which is this, this research concept of specificity. But, you know, it's just, it's so interesting to me that, that we say one thing on the course, we do one thing on the course, and then we practice and we, and we think that something else is going to get us there. Yeah, you're a hundred percent correct. I think it's Graham McDowell and Peter on it that I stole this off. Very, very smart guys when it comes to skill transfer and performance practice. And they say, you know, you can't learn to swim in the bathtub. So a lot of people are basically in the bathtub perfecting their swimming stroke. And then when you get to a race, you might have Michael Phelps next to you. You've got all of this process, all of these other people around you. It's a different pool. The lanes might look differently. All of that affects your stroke. Then you throw in, hey, I'm in a race. I'm going to get ranking points. So I've got to come first or second. You know, the calm environment of learning a swimming stroke in the bathtub wouldn't help you win the Olympics. So the calm environment of the golf range isn't going to prepare you for the golf course. It's just the same. You know, a smooth sea never made a great sailor. But every time a golfer goes to practice, they want to train to learn their swing in this super safe environment. And you've got to get out there into the chaos of the golf course and learn to deal with the demands of the golf course. So you are 100% correct, Cordy. People are not practicing the way that they need to play. So I brought up alignment because you know, I, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've personally found that my alignment's off or I hear people say like, gosh, you know, my alignments has just sucked the past few, you know, past few rounds that I've played. And, you know, when we think about how do I get better at alignment? Well, you better be using your alignment stick, right? Or a rope. And we're going to put that down and you're just going to, you're going to train, you're just going to ingrain that in, right? Of this is how you align. This is how you set up. We're going to do, we're just going to do that for an entire day. Right. And that is not at all what it's like on the course. No, not at all. Cause as soon as you get on the golf course, the target changes from one shot to the next. You also might have to shape the golf ball. And then you also might have the water in front of you or the bunker short left and the pins tight to the front left. So then all of a sudden, all of these different things really 
impact your ability to set up to the golf ball. Not to mention the fact that you don't have the alignment rod anymore. <laughs> That's the biggest one, right? The training aid's been taken away. The thing that was showing you where to align is no longer there. So you've got all of these variables that you have to adapt to. And it's my belief that if you were training alignment, you might, you might do five balls working on your alignment, take the rod away, do five balls without the rod, have some visual feedback, go hit a couple of chips, come back, do five balls with the rod, then do five balls without. And if you can see that your alignment has made slight improvements, then you've got to start testing this in more context. You've got to start playing a game and then getting feedback on the game. So now you've got to hit nine shots, high draw, low fade, medium fade, low draw, and then look at your alignment because they're the variables you're going to have to take on on the golf course. And then you know what? If you're successful, you've got to get out into the golf course and say, hey, can I create this great environment in a game that is going to put a lot of stress on me? And then see, see if your alignment is now transferring onto the golf course. And that's like what I would call the learning performance continuum. There's not enough, ch once you've done it a few times on the range, there's just not enough challenge there. And there's just not enough engagement in the task to lead to um, retention and ultimately skill transfer. You've got to get on the golf course and you've actually got to make your golf practice on the course harder and more demanding than it would be if you were playing in a tournament. And I think that's one of the successes that I've had with a lot of players I've worked with. I get their tournament statistics and obviously I know their tendencies and I'll design them nine hole on course challenges that will address the errors that they're making, but they're now addressing them in the context of the golf course with a ton of different outcomes placed on them. So most golfers don't transfer skill because once they step on the range, the cognitive load is too much. The stress response fires off and they now can't swing the golf club. So by placing a golfer, in a demanding environment with lots of outcomes, we're starting to teach them to inoculate that stress response, have better psychology, and then ultimately it's easier for them. If they avoid the stress response, if they can inoculate the stress response, they now can access the skills that they've been learning in the chaos of the golf course and competitive play. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you talked about this is training to perform. It's kind of the yeah. phrase that you put this under. Yes. So it would seem scary for some and, it, and it's different for everyone. Some of the training to perform tasks that I've developed for golfers at Florida State or tour players would be way too much, way too much cognitive load for the average club golfer. But all you do is you, you make it the optimal challenge. So this can be applicable to everyone. If you go out and have time to play nine holes during the week, you could play one of these games, whether you're an elite college or tour professional, or whether you're a 24 handicapper trying to get down to 18. 
If you've got time to play nine holes, I would be able to design you a skill transfer challenge that's going to help you rise to the demands, psychological, environmental demands of competitive golf and start over time to lower your score through being able to access your best swings under stress and pressure. All right, so let's talk to our folks listening here. Let's say they're kind of single digit handicap, good golfer, and you know they spend a little bit of time practicing and they've struggled to get that performance, you know, that performance gain that they're looking for. This fact that during the club championship, when they're competing with a friend, et cetera, that these skills they're working on just don't seem to be showing up when they want them to. And, and I understand that I was in the same boat and, you know, that's why we're talking. That's why I've spent so much time figuring this stuff out is because it's painful, right? Why don't you give us an example of, of how we can start to train to perform better? Yeah, I'll give you two examples of, of games that I've given out recently. So this is for a pretty high level student, amateur golfer, but pretty high level was just struggling to transfer skill and he was breaking down mostly with his driver and his putter so it was my gosh goal. i have no idea what that's like <laughs> driver for me for sure <laughs> um, i'm sure no one's gonna relate to this okay carry on <laughs> so my goal i don't want him on the range learning to use his driver and his putter this kid is a good player He's at d1 college he knows how to do it. He's just failing to transfer it. So we're looking at training to perform. So what he has to do, he has to hit two balls off every tee. He has to take the worst ball. And if the, that ball is not over a certain distance or not on the fairway, he has to move the ball back 50 yards. So there's outcome stress on his driver. If he doesn't hit the shot he wants to hit, if it just rolls into the left semi-rough and isn't over a certain distance, he's got to move the ball back 50 yards. Now, if he does hit it over a certain distance and it's in the fairway, he gets to move the ball forward 25 yards. He has to shoot level par for nine holes. The second twist, Every second putt that he faces is drawn back three feet. So if he drives the ball better under this stress, he gets to be closer to the green, he's more likely to make birdies. If he's not making birdies, if he's trying to make pars, he's going to potentially be drawing back every second putt. So he's going to be faced with longer par putts, three feet roughly or longer bogey putts. Very, very challenging for him to shoot level par in these conditions. But we're putting extra stress, extra load on the clubs that he needs more skill transfer with. And uh, currently, he's not achieved this task, but he's got very, very, very close. And he's starting to have some very positive feedback, giving himself good positive mental representations that I believe he'll start to access in tournament play. Because ultimately, when he gets in tournament play, he can breathe a sigh of relief. He's only got to hit one ball with the driver, and a ball that would normally get punished 
would actually probably give him a relatively decent approach shot to the green. And then he's faced stress with the putter. So every time he's learning to inoculate that stress response, rather than be worried, because in practice he's got pressure put on him, he's taking that extra deep breath. He's learning to keep optimal tension. He's learning to use his visualization rather than be focused on the fear of missing the pot. And it's all in the correct environment that helps him transfer skill. So that's a really cool one. And that can be adapted to any golfer that can play nine holes to their sort of challenge point. And then I would say another one that's had amazing results is a game I call the Eliminator. So this game is in, it's in the book that I recently published with Game Like Training on Effective Practice, and it's on our YouTube channel. But ultimately, you've got to eliminate one side of the golf course. So if you say, okay, the danger here out of bounds is on the right, so I'm going to eliminate the right. If your ball ends up in the right rough or worse, it's a two-stroke penalty. You then play your next shot, and you have to eliminate a certain side of the flag. So if the pin is tucked tight left and there's water on the left, you want to eliminate left of the flag. If the ball lands left of the flag, it's a two-stroke penalty. So we have more outcome stress on the driver because the penalties are bigger, and we have more outcome stress on the approach shots because the penalties are bigger. So you learn to deal with the outcome stress of having dangerous shots, even on a relatively straightforward or simple golf course. But the second thing is, there's almost a second learning to this, and it's strategic awareness. I've seen players play this game and give me feedback of, man, my targets that I used to pick were so stupid. No wonder I was stressed. I was almost aiming at the danger. Now, if I pick safer targets, I make more aggressive swings to smart targets. And the last three players that I've played this game with are a PGA Latin American tour player, a European tour player, who now both play this game in their practice rounds. And the other one was a club member that was a 13 handicap, and he's broken 80 every time he's played based on the fact that this game helped him deal with the pressure of outcomes, excessive outcomes, more load than he would face in a tournament, but also taught him strategy. So I just think that the golf world really needs to understand, hey, if you're training to learn, yes, go to the golf range by all means and practice in a certain way that will change your swing. But if you're training to perform, get out on the golf course, pile stress on yourself and learn to inoculate that stress response so you can access your best swing when it matters the most. And if you're a higher level player that has access to statistics, if you can build these games specifically around your stats, then you really are onto a winner for transferring your best game from the range to the golf course. Really good stuff there. I know the game sounds phenomenal. I am going to try that out myself here and see some of the results that we get. We'd love to hear how it works for you, Twitter or Instagram. Make sure to tag us as you're out playing that game or whatever that might be. We'd love to hear how it goes. Thank you so much for listening in. This is part two today. Tomorrow, the final part three. And also the announcement of the launch here at Golf Science Lab on this project we've been working on. Can't wait 
to share with you. So excited, a little nervous, you know, all those things here. So make sure to stay tuned to the podcast app, subscribe. I can't wait to share that with you. Also make sure to pick up Ian's book. I asked him a little bit about that book as well. Just describe it for us. And here is what he had to say. I'm really proud of it. I think it's a very accurate representation of how team game-like training coach golf. So my journey started in England in about 2009 with Matthew Cook. That was when we really got serious about helping golfers think differently and practice differently so they could retain swing changes and transfer their range game to the golf course. This journey then took us to the USA where I met firstly Gary Gilchrist, then Zach Parker, and then other phenomenal coaches like Stuart Morgan. And then I got access to world-leading professors such as Dr. Tim Lee, Dr. K. Anders Ericsson, who's been a phenomenal help to us. And over the, the, the decade that we've been doing this, we've really built a framework that is going to help golfers practice in a way that makes swing changes stick and transfers their best game to the golf course. Putting that into words on paper was so hard, like almost impossible, but we tried. And now when I reflect back, it really is an accurate representation of how we coach. And it really does add value to the golf world and solves that problem of golfers not being able to transfer their range game to the course. If they have time to practice and engage in some of the frameworks and education and practical tasks that are laid out in this book, my belief and the science of learning's belief and the science of human performance belief is you can get better at golf with the help of this book. So any golfer that's frustrated that their swing changes aren't sticking or any golfer that's frustrated that they hit the ball great on the range but struggle on the golf course, I really do feel this book adds value to them and and the golf world. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Make sure to stay tuned. Tomorrow, the next episode is coming out. My name is Cordy Walker and I was your host and it was edited, mixed and produced by Just Hit Published Productions. 